Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's WAF and uh, joining us in the studio, Paul Mercurio here for all the way from, well, you live in New York now. Yeah. But you're a Rhode Islander. That's it. Through That's and through, right. man. That's Hardcore right. Rhode Islander. My wife and I, both from Rhode Island. Oh, nice. Met in high school. Nice. And, and so, uh, from Providence? Had... Providence, yeah. yeah. All right. So I'm a Red what, Sox. I'm a Red Pro- Sox in New York. Providence proper or East Providence no, or buddy, South Providence, Providence or North Providence. There's so many Providence. My mother has got a store in North Providence, a furniture store. But I, I grew up in Providence, an Italian neighborhood, you know, Charles Street. There's Charles Street and there's Federal Hill. Okay. And it's and my my cousin's still there. My cousin Bobby lives there, and he um, he runs numbers. And he dresses can, like John Travolta can inside you say and I that on the air? Yeah. Is he going to be Bobby, right? okay. go to his... He, he's <laughs> on he, Charles Street. Because <laughs> he's on the corner of Charles and wins. Uh, <laughs> and, he, and I'm not making this up. So he... he um, at one point, he was selling suits, ratchets, and car alarms out of the trunk of his car. <laughs> oh, nice. Car alarms that he stole out oh. of other people's cars. Oh, really? I swear to God. <laughs> and my father died. And he had an, you know, an open casket funeral, right? So... This is how, you know, you're standing in the receiving line and there's people coming at you, like, in the, like grays and blacks. And coming at me to, toward the castle is Bobby in an orange dot, like an orange dot, and it's Bobby. He wore a fluorescent orange silk shirt, unbuttoned, with gold chains, a white patent leather belt, and white slacks. And I'm looking He's at He's that guy. I, it's, I, I'm like, this is like a creamsicle with chest hair. This is the weirdest thing. <laughs> and, and then he had no, it was the summer, so he had no socks on. He had loafers, but no socks because it was the summer. And he put powder on his feet to keep him dry. But he was, he's such a guido, he overdoes everything. So he put so much powder on. So every time he was stepping toward the casket, puffs of white oh smoke were coming out of the tops of his shoes. I swear to God. He had his own smoke show. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Like somebody <laughs> somebody nice. nominated a pope. This is awesome. Is the furniture business still going? Yeah, she's 92, my mother. Oh, my God. She will not go down. We try everything. Bad milk, cheese, we trip her. <laughs> oh, my God. She just bounces back like a little Italian weevil. She will, no, I'm serious. She's 100% got all the faculty. But... But she ran, she started this business in the '60s when women of that era. She was high school educated with two kids, didn't go to work, let alone start right, their own yeah, business. Yeah, the Mad Men era. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, like stay and, at home, take she, care of the kids. You know, she couldn't yeah. go to high school. Parents Italian immigrants. She couldn't go to couldn't go to college. Rather, kind of wanted to make her mark. But we could never take over the business. My brother, my sister, and I, because she doesn't give up any control, and she's got this crazy like. <laughs> Well, she grew up in the Depression. So on one hand, she's, like, really sophisticated to start a business. But then she lives, like, this old immigrant life. Like, right. she goes on Sunday nights, and I'm not making this up, she goes through garbage. On People put their cans out, and she'll go through their garbage looking for good garbage, like stuff that needs to be fixed. Right. And then she yeah. takes it to her buddy Mario, and Mario fixes it. <laughs> and she, but she found her hearing aid in the garbage, so it doesn't always work. So it, it's like a lot of whistling. Like it's uh-huh. a lot of like. Mm. But it was free. Exactly. Yeah. And that's right? her rationale. <laughs> that's right. It and it's free. like, it's like, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter that she's attracting dogs with it, but it's like, she's like, and it's like, and so she's got this way and we're not, but we're not a stereotypical Italian family. Like we had this incident one time 
You know, you think Italian family, you think of that super neat house, and then there's that one room with the plastic on the furniture. Right. You know, it's yeah, don't very, go in the living room. Right. It's right. like the and and but and then there's in that room there's a picture of the Pope Jesus and Frank Sinatra on right. the walls, yes. <laughs> and the Frank Sinatra picture is like three times the size of the Pope right. and the Jesus picture. Right. Our house was the opposite because the focus of our lives is the furniture store. Okay, so the house was a mess all the time, bad. Someone breaks into our house, 10 minutes, they're in and they're out. They take the first thing they see, stereo. Cop comes over to take a police report. He stands in the middle of the living room, surveys the living room, and he goes, oh, my God. This animal really ransacked the place, huh? Oh, oh, no. <laughs> I swear to God. This What's is your true. grandmother's? I work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, look at him. He left salami out all day, <laughs> threw a bra on the lampshade. The guy was crazy. So it's just this whole, she locks customers in her store. She's locked in the middle of the day. I go there one day. <clears throat> the door's locked. And there's a woman in the store. And I'm like, this woman broke into the store. But there's no, like, glass broken. How'd she get in? I go, man, what happened? She goes, I was looking around and turned to ask your mother a question I couldn't get out. I said, how long have you been here? She goes, four hours. Oh, my God. My mother had to go to the bank, wanted to get there before they closed, <laughs> didn't hear that anybody was in the store. So she's very, like, flighty, creative. Right. So she runs out, locks the window in the store. I go, I go, what have you been doing for four hours? The lady was hilarious. She goes, well, I browsed a lot. <laughs> she goes, I took a nap on that sofa. And she goes, your name, Paul? I go, yeah, why? She goes, well, the phone rang, and I took messages. She took messages for me. <laughs> So now I'm yelling at my mother, like, Ma, you can't lock people in a store. She goes, oh, I don't know what you're yelling me about. The woman took a nap on that sofa. She liked it so much she's going to buy it. I made a sale and I wasn't even oh, in the yeah. store. Well, I'm like, you, can't, you know yeah. what? I'm done. You can't argue then. Yeah, yeah. It's like, What's so, the name of the business? Cams. K for my sister Karen, A for my brother Arthur, M for Mercurio, S for shop. Awesome. In yeah. Providence? Yeah, in, in North right. Providence. Yeah, she's still doing it. I mean, you go there, you got to give yourself like five hours because she's going to talk your <laughs> ear off and then she's going to make you eat some stale cookies. She's out of her mind. Yeah, we had, we had to have her car fumigated. Well, you um, you uh, you're on everything. Like you you were on the Daily Show. You uh, you're on you were on all the news networks. Mm. You work with Stephen Colbert mm-hmm. uh, on the Late Show. You do the you do the warm up mm-hmm. for the show. Do you help with the writing in that too? Not really, right? not that much. I, I you know I wrote a lot on the Daily Show. This is like a good gig for me, and you know Stephen and I go back, so it's good. And he doesn't really do much. He's drunk all the time. So That's what I hear. He's he's, hor- he's a horrible <laughs> yeah, person. And John he's tough Stewart, to work. very tiny, a foot and a half. We would carry him around the whole <laughs> Sherpa bag. He's oh the tiniest God. Jew you'll ever meet. Seriously, I met him a long time ago. Yeah. I was in this band. We were playing in Farmville, Virginia. He was at the college doing a stand-up thing, and uh-huh. I was surprised at how he was shorter than I am, and I'm not a very tall guy at all. And he came up to us after we played, and he was like, you guys are awesome. Great job. And I was like, wow, John Stewart likes us. And then that's when he had his MTV show. Oh, yeah. Right? So I, you know, they had some band playing, and he went up and he said, you guys are awesome. Great job. Exactly the way he said it to us. I'm like, oh, he just, we just got Hollywood. I thought we were special. Jewish. I know, for he crying really out loud. It. He was just delivering a line. But um, you also have... Well, you have a great story about how you got into comedy because you yeah. start out as a lawyer. Yeah, I went to... and and Wall Street too. So you were working in mergers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You say it like my disappointed parents. You <laughs> went to Wall I know. Street you and had you're a leaving. De- you had a decent job. What did you do? You're breaking my heart. <laughs> I went to Providence College. I grew up in Providence. Went to Georgetown Law School, and I ended up in New York doing corporate merger and acquisition deals. And I'm like, okay, well. This is what I'm going to do. And I was like, I was like, I always loved comedy growing up. I would watch it late. Anybody would come on late, late night shows. And then I was like writing short film ideas and I made a short film and it got into some festivals when I was like a lawyer, a new lawyer. 
And I actually went to the festival and I lied to people at work and said my mother was sick and I had to go home and I was in Aspen, Colorado <laughs> in a theater looking at them. It was the craziest thing, right? But no plans to leave and I'm writing jokes as a hobby. And then all of a sudden one night, Jay Leno was a private entertainment at this function that my firm was invited to. And I and when you're doing M&A deals as a young associate, you're just working 24-7. You, you literally just, you live at the, yeah. at the firm. But I'm like, I need a break. I'm going to go. And I never forget to this day, and I don't know why I did it, I put, as I'm standing over my keyboard, I put my overcoat on, I go, eh, the hell with it. And I hit the print button, and I printed out these jokes I had written in a secret passworded file at the firm. And I go, he performs, and I go up to Leno afterwards, and I don't know where I got the balls to do this, I just was like, I don't know. I, I go, look, I have these jokes, I don't know if you need jokes, but I'm never going to use them. He's like, okay. <laughs> like, like, he really does like talk like they're letting helium out of a balloon. He almost like he doesn't breathe. You just want to go, breathe, for God's sake. <laughs> and he takes them. And then a couple of days later, my phone rings. And this is what I get on when I pick up the phone. Hey, it's, um, it's Jay Leno. It's Paul there. Now, I had told my friend David, who does impressions just for fun, not professionally, that I met Jay Leno. And I, he likes to pull pranks. So I thought it was David pranking me. He goes, ah. I go, yeah, really funny, David. He goes, no, it's really Jay Leno. I go, yeah, right. He goes, no, it is. And I actually said to Jay Leno, you do a lousy Jay Leno. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> kind of does yeah exactly i think i do a pretty good me i go it's the worst i'm like oh my god i'm burying myself oh <laughs> so he goes look i um i read your stuff it's clean i need stuff for the tonight show monologue so i will hire you 50 bucks a joke if i use it send stuff in and uh we'll get started i'm like okay and then if but a week later calls me does the joke on the tonight show and it got a bottle of champagne pop the champagne with my buddies my girlfriend head blown off my shoulders because this and it took me a long time to figure out why but so there was this box the tv and all those years from being a kid other people's comedy came out of it their words and then suddenly my words came yeah. out of it and somebody reacted and it was like a drug and like the kind of work i was doing which you're an advisor banker lawyer advice so they're never really your deal there's somebody else's creation and i think kind of that's what sparked me so then he said to me try the jokes out before you send them to me. I'm like, how do you do that? He goes, go to open mic nights. So I started to go to open mic nights in New York City and live in a secret double life because I couldn't tell anybody at the firm. This was like, it's a big like white shoe firm. You, if they knew that I was doing, they'd be like, you can't do that or you gotta leave. Couldn't tell any of these like open mic comics, you know, and these, I was working in these bars. Like one of the places I worked was literally called Downtown Afghanistan 2. Two. That was the name of the bar. Yeah, and I'm. I always the two. And there's two of them. They, well, that's what I'm saying. They, I guess they're franchising them like Subway. Well, the or original location's obviously in Kabul or yeah. something. <laughs> that yeah. or was blown up by Israeli fighters or right, something. Right. Yeah. Like. yeah. And then I like, and I started to go to these dive bars. So I would. Everybody else would have, be on a dinner break at six o'clock. I would get in a car, cab, whatever, and I'd go down to the Bowery, New York, and I'd work. I'd pick a number out of a hat, and I wait to do five minutes in my like. Wall Street, like I try to like look downtown, like I take my suit coat off and my tie, and that would make me look downtown. You know what I mean? <laughs> Meanwhile, there was a a, de a drug dealer worked out of this bar, Afghanistan too. A pimp worked out of there. The hooker worked out of there. There was a sign on the men's room door that says the toilet seat is only to be used to go to the bathroom, not to cut coke. Thank you, the management, and it said thank you, the manager. Right? Oh, thank you. Well, that's yeah, exactly. Nice. Polite. So one night I go on, I go there and. I'm waiting to go on stage, and there's a folk singer. It was like poets, folk singers, and comics, that kind of thing. 
Oh, geez. So it's just like the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Yeah. Right. It, this, it was a kind of like a variety yeah, of stuff going. It, it, so it wasn't it, just a comedy open. Mic. No, it wasn't. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And and there there are a bunch of these always in every city. Like Boston has them. New York. There there's always these little bars. They have a room in the back. The guy who owns it wants to make some extra money, and the comics want to get work. So that some comic does an open mic night. So I'm sitting at the bar, and this guy's like grunting and angry, and he's a tall guy with a shaved head with a tattoo of a cobra fanned out on the back of his head, studs in his face. He goes over to the pool table, um, and the guy on stage, I think, was playing, like, blowing in the wind, like, badly. Like, <laughs> like, bad, like made, like, Dylan sound like a beautiful voice. Anyway, <laughs> he, he, um, he goes over to the pool table. There's a scuffle. He runs out of the bar, and there's a guy standing there at the pool table, grabs the side of his neck and starts screaming, He cut me, man! He cut me! That son of... And he's, he, it was a drug deal that they were argued over, and they knew each other, and the guy cut him across the side of the neck, like right here with a box cutter. Not the juggler, but he cut him and he was bleeding, but he was really drunk. So, like, I don't even think he felt the pain, but he was drunk. He was going, I'm going to get that guy. And his girlfriend starts crying, like, oh, my God, she's screaming. My boyfriend, I'm going to get him. Oh, my God. The answer, my friend. The guy just keeps playing. <laughs> oh, my God. He keeps, he's not getting off, I swear <laughs> to God. So now I'm supposed to be next. I'm new at this. Yeah, I don't how do know. you follow that? Well, I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm thinking the show. Like, I get up. I start to walk to the door. And all of a sudden, I hear the host go, all right, you guys ready for some comedy? <laughs> right? <laughs> now, I don't know that I don't have to go up, so I think I have to go up. But as I'm going up, I'm like, I have to ignore. Because now the cops are there. Right. And, you know, their walkie-talkies are on. So it's like, I got to get him. Oh, my boyfriend. Uh, it is. So like, <laughs> like, it was, it was just. And I say, nice to be here at Afghanistan, too. I always wanted to follow a slashing, oh my which God. I thought was a pretty good line. Well, Brett, the guy who got slashed in, and he had all these, like, white, bloody cocktail napkins, and he turns to me, and he goes, hey, did, you, did I just hear you? Are you making fun of me? I don't need to take any crap from you, you little... And he throws all the bloody napkins oh. at me, and they hit me in my right <laughs> rib cage room oh. on my white Brooks Brothers shirt, right? Oh. Now, at this point, a normal person's like, get off stage. Not me. This is where the Italian stubborn kicks in. I'm like... F this guy. I'm staying up here just, just till he bleeds to death. I'll stay up here for an hour, right? So I'm going. No one's paying attention. It's a complete, you know. And a uh, minute two later, the guy turns back to me. Same guy got cut. He goes, hey, he goes, what are you doing anyway? I go, I'm trying to tell jokes. Now I'm like nervous. He's going to like attack me. Right. He goes, oh, yeah. He goes, I like jokes. <laughs> he goes, hang on a second. And he turns back to the bar and he goes, hey, everybody. Shut the hell up. This guy's trying to tell jokes. <laughs> and every time he'd scream, like a little blood would squirt out of the side of his neck. I swear to God. I swear to God. I swear to God. So end of story. I get off. I get back in the car. I dress back up. You know when you're like 12 and you break your mother's favorite piece of crystal oh, yeah. when they're on vacation and you like you and your friends glue it back together and you <laughs> yeah. think they'll never notice. But yes. the minute they walk in, they're like, that's broken. Who did that? I turned into a 12-year-old, Mr. Wall Street lawyer. I decide I'm going to get a file folder, big legal file folder, and just press it against my rib cage, and I'm going to walk around the firm with like a softball-sized blood stain on my shirt. <laughs> I walk into this conference room. I'm now going three, four hours. The senior partner who never stays past six, it's now midnight. He's, you know when your dad yells at you and like he's so mad, like he can't talk straight? Right. He's like... Where have you been? And there's other lawyers in the room. He goes, where have you been? What have you, why do you have a blood stain on your shirt? It was that fast. Was, so now I'm like, my secret's out. Like, um, this is it. And I 
just I got I just got stumped and I stood there silent and then all of a sudden the guy goes to me uh, another lawyer in the room goes uh what kind of shirt is that <laughs> I go it's a Brooks Brothers shirt why he goes I know how to get blood out of a Brooks Brothers shirt oh he goes club soda and lemon juice and then, then another guy goes well you know when I get blood I'm, Armani is a good shirt when you get blood and I'm just looking at these guys going like are you remaking American Psycho in your spare time like well, how do you know this right and so that became my life for several years. And then I decided I had to, you know, go for it or right. stop because I was having a nervous breakdown in my 20s. Right. And my girlfriend didn't know about it. It was now my wife because I, I was embarrassed to tell her. And then when I told her, she thought I was cheating on her. She goes, oh, thank God. I go, why? She goes, well, you were supposed to be working and you were coming home. Yeah. Reeking blood on your shirt. shirt. <laughs> what and are you doing? Right, exactly. How are you cheating? Yeah, boy, these yeah, are really right. hostile tender offers. Right. And, and uh, I had women's phone numbers. But they were other comics who had oh, rooms. Okay. And they'd say, hey, call me up. I got a room on a Tuesday. And so and so then I unraveled my life and I sold my really nice apartment and I started over again. Well, it seemed to work. It seems to be working. Yeah, I guess I, I guess mean, you're so. buddies with Paul McCartney, right? That's true. I don't even know why yeah. I'm here. He's, I am so big. I am coming huge. in. I know. I called I know. him. I said, should I do AAF? He's like... Oh, yeah, who are you doing, Mike? Oh yeah, do Mike. Yeah, he said, he's, yeah. he's all right. <laughs> yeah. That's you. So you also have a podcast, mm. which is, and we're gonna talk. I want to talk about your your off Broadway show, but it's yeah. kind of like the opposite of your off Broadway show mm. because you talk to like famous people on your podcast, mm-hmm. and you got a lot of great guests, a lot of great comedians, mm. a lot of people in the news, not necessarily artists, right? Um, didn't you talk to like Newt Gingrich? Or? I have Newt Gingrich. Yeah. I have Chris Matthews. I have Chris Hayes of MSNBC. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I have uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Right, yeah. And I have the woman that got uh, almost killed by Ted Bundy because <laughs> she got smashed in the face with a log when she was asleep, but she survived because he got scared off. And then I've had uh, Brian Cranston, Stephen Colbert. Yeah. I just have this weird like in- in- uh, interest. So if you have an interest in something, I probably interviewed a person you know, pretty pretty established in their world. And I like to talk to people about process. Like, you're a really good interview. You ask questions, you listen. Like, I just ask, and like, how how did you get there? How do you do what you do? And then I got to meet... Yeah, the Palma, you, the, you telling the story on the podcast, I was just like, are you kidding me? Yeah. It was just like... You want me to just, tell yeah, you? Can you tell us? Yeah. It was just, it's just, I was just blown away. It was just it's like, all true, really, true. it just happened like that? Yeah, it really <laughs> did. So he was doing the Colbert Report at the time. He was, he was, you know, on tour and whatever, and he was just finished rehearsal. It was time for me to get into the studio. So I run down the stairs and I'm late and I round the corner and standing against the wall, like leaning just a little bit, chewing gum, looking up at the ceiling with a little like Colbert Report t-shirt on that someone had given him when he got there, tucked in like a little like boy, like with a little belt, is Paul McCartney all alone in the hallway. The thing that blew me more than anything else was he was alone. Like there was yeah. no, usually. You think you'd have a huge entourage. Oh my God. Management, PR, yeah. handler, yeah. assistant, whatever. Yeah. There's a it's, bunch of it people. It was crazy, right? Yeah. Like Carrot Top had more people than this guy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's brilliant though. And um, no, and uh, And so as I see him, I'm like, my whole world, you ever have that moment where your world slows down? I'm like, oh my God, it's Paul McCartney. Oh, yeah. And then I'm like, and I have a rule working on these shows, like you don't bother these people. Right. Because they, you know, whatever. So I'm thinking to myself, look, 
It's Paul McCartney. I'm never going to meet him again. Plus, he's alone, unattended. He's like a gazelle on the Serengeti Plains, and I'm a lion, and I'm going to pounce, right? Right. See, right. 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 Somebody so, left him alone. Exactly. Right. So he's going to get what he deserves, <laughs> which is me up his ass. <laughs> so I don't know if I could say that, but I did. Well, you um, did. That's all right. Sorry. Uh, uh, so, all right, Providence. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you get. These idiot uh, wops out of Providence. And um, so I said, I just want to say... What an honor to meet you. How excited we all are. You're here. Big fan. And I start to walk away. And he goes, no, come back, come back. He goes, what's your name? I go, Paul. He goes, oh, Paul, that's a good name. <laughs> right. And I'm like, I'll do the jokes, buddy. Back off, will you? <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, what do you, and what do, you do? He goes, I go, I'm a comedian, stand-up. He goes, oh, I love stand-up. I knew Richard Pryor. I'm a big fan of stand-up. You have a kid? He asked me. I go, yeah, you have a kid? Yeah, you know, I'm sharing custody with blah, blah, blah. I travel a lot. Yeah, it's hard. So five Ten minutes go by. I'm talking to Paul McCartney like I'm talking to you. Super smooth on the outside. Like, hey, on the inside, I'm like, I'm talking to Paul McCartney. You're like 10 years old going, the, I'm the girls at Chase Stadium in 63. Like that, right, screaming yeah. like in the Ed Sullivan Theater. About to pass oh, yeah. out. Exactly. Yeah. Like, and I'm And my brain's like two things. One side of my brain's like, just keep asking good questions so you can keep talking to him. And then. I'm looking over my shoulder for someone to come over and tase me for right. talking to the guy. Right, right? waiting for the security detail. Right. And meanwhile, yeah. people who work on the Colbert Report are walking by us going, oh, Paul McCartney, Paul McCurie, knows Paul McCartney. Pretty oh, cool. Yeah. Like, all right? <laughs> and as I'm talking to him, I'm getting closer and closer to his face. Like like the close talker in Seinfeld. <laughs> like, I, I'm like, back, like, you know, like he's bending backwards. You know what I mean? I swear, because he's iconic. Right. I'm like, and he looks amazing. Like, he's, you know, he's a vegan. I was so close to him. Like, you ever see, like, the chimps on the Discovery Channel when they clean fleas off each other's backs and then they eat? You didn't start doing that, uh, did you? Well, his eyebrows had a couple of ticks, so I just went for it. You know, I'm a big fan. I right, do anything yeah. for it. So then I'm like, okay, I got to get out of here because this is going great. Leave the party early. You know what I mean? Yeah, I go into the right. bathroom and I call my wife and I'm hyperventilating. <laughs> I literally, and I never, I'm like, you're not going to believe. I just hooked the ball. Carney. And she goes, what are you doing? Are you, you, you're not, are you in the bathroom? I'm like, no, it's not Tuesday. And I, I said, she goes, she goes, you really did? I go, yeah. I go. And then I say out loud to her, you know, I'm always amazed how musicians make music. Paul McCartney should do my podcast. I remember saying that out loud to my wife. She goes, don't go do that. I go, no, nah, I'm going to ask. <laughs> don't go do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice. no, it's a good idea. You're going to mess it up. So I go and I knock on his dressing room door and I say, look, I would love to talk to you about process and how you make music would you do my podcast and he goes yeah sure just like that. oh yeah okay yeah sure. now i'm yeah. totally like uh, i'm a beetle <laughs> and you're whatever you are right yeah. <laughs> yeah. also named paul yeah exactly so we have that in common <laughs> yeah right and we both poop so yeah. there you go hey, yeah, sure. and uh so now i am this person like i don't know anybody listening out there you had that hot girl or hot guy in your life that you wanted to ask out, but they're way above your pay grade. But, you know, I'm going to ask him out anyway, and I'll know I did it, you know, on my deathbed. And they're going to say no. Instead, they say yes, and you don't have a plan. Yeah, because you didn't think they'd, he'd probably no. give you that real nice, well, I'm too busy. Yeah, da, no da, da. plan. Right. So then he goes to me, uh, he <laughs> oh, goes, yeah, great. sure. How would we do it? And I literally, I am not exaggerating this to get laughs. This is the sound I made. I went, ah, <laughs> 
and I start rubbing my right thigh like Rain Man, like, and I'm like, and I'm I'm bobbing back and forth, like, ah, I'm rocking, ah, ah. and then I'm like, I gotta think of something. I go, um, I could come to London, and he's like, we're in a room oh in New York God. together. I know. Why would you come to London? And then he goes to me, is it easy to do? And I actually said to the biggest musician in the last century. Oh, yeah, it's, it's easy. Um, I don't want to be a bother. You, you could do it on your phone, like naked from your toilet. I'm like, what am I saying? I'm like, ruining this date. Uh. So now I'm like just saying to myself, get out of here. Get out of the room. Get out of the room. You got a yes. Get out of the room. So I say, look, I'm going to leave you alone. I'll go find your assistant in the building. Set it up. He goes, this is a mind blow right here. He goes, no, no, you and I will do it. I go, what do you mean? He goes, you, we'll just, they're going to make it too complicated. He goes, we're going to exchange numbers. And when I call you, you got to be ready to do it. So now, oh my god, I know you're looking at me. You know like, what? This just means this is proves my point that managers are just basically paid to be to be a holes. Yes, yeah, yeah. To and be so, in the if way. you were talking to his manager, you'd be like, "No, nah, oh, Paul doesn't have time." They would have yeah. never let me in the room. No, but he said yes, like right away. Yeah, and and, and so, so you have a, you have Paul McCartney's phone number. Yeah, so on I'm the phone you have my now? phone number, and he's good. Yeah, we good. <laughs> that phone right there. <laughs> Hey, Paul, you're on WAAF. <laughs> Who? Oh, <laughs> you think you guys are going to make it big someday. Um, so uh, he, he, um, he takes my number. I take his number. Now, I'm walking out, and I'm thinking, okay, this guy's been doing this for a long time. He gave me the number to, like, a Chinese restaurant, right? Like, it's not a real right, number, yeah, right? right? So he does the show. Now, I'm working at the Daily Show at the time, which is two blocks away. That show's over at Colbert Report, and I'm late for the Daily Show. I'm packing my backpack up. The phone rings. I don't have time to pick it up. I let it ring the voicemail, and this is the message on my phone. Hey, Paul, it's Paul McCartney here. Um, I'm going to ring you back in five minutes to do the podcast thing. I've got some time now. Otherwise, I'm going to run out of time. So if you're there in five minutes' time, you call me. Okay, bye. Oh, my God. And you you have that saved somewhere else, right? I have it saved in 400 okay, places. Good, good. I have two. Oh, my God. I, I have it on Dude. my wall. Yeah. And so, so now I retrieve this message on 11th Avenue and 52nd Street between the two studios. And I turned into the guy, you know, God forbid, feel sorry for these people. You know, people with sort of mental problems and they're talking to these voices in their heads out loud i looked like that guy because if you saw me from across the street all you saw was me on the phone listening like a normal person and then all of a sudden i go are you kidding me and i take my backpack and i throw it and i'm now in the street going i screamed a friggin' call from paul mccartney what an ass oh my god no no like just like out of like so now i pick up my backpack i grab a little notebook I, and I start running down the street, and I'm writing questions in a notebook. And, and so I told him I was ready. I wasn't ready for anything. So I had my, my studio for my um, podcast was in L.A. at the time. So I call, and I go, look, I'm literally walking down the street going, look, I, I just I got Paul McCartney like, right now. I need a recording. Line. And some like young kid's like, uh, yeah, but we got somebody in the studio right now. And then I, okay. and well, I, whoever they are, I turned into them. I turned into this guy. I go, did you not hear me? <laughs> right. You Unless you have about- Jesus Christ or John Lennon, get him out of that studio right now. <laughs> I had to stall Paul McCartney for over a half hour before I could get it set up. So I had wow. to keep calling him back. See, and he still did it. And he still did it. Did you call him back and say, you do a horrible Jay Leno? <laughs> <laughs> nice. nice. 
<laughs> I wish I. You know what the key is to um, getting it? I think, and it wasn't a plan. Is that I? Tr- I just talked to him like a normal person. I didn't ask him for an autograph. Right. And I didn't ask for. A you picture. didn't. You didn't gush. No, I right. didn't gush. It just yeah. was like two guys who are in the business. And one is on top, and the other one is like six feet below the surface. <laughs> but we're still in the same right. business. Just the two s- dudes. Yeah, yeah and, just two guys. Name Paul. In the sense that you, the word entertainment comes in some. And I, I heard that he, um, you know, um, doesn't like that. Like if he's at, and look, you right. can imagine, like people want, yeah, like, put it on their social media so they can boost their following. Oh, they sell the autograph or stuff right. like that, right? Right. And you know, the poor guys since he was twenty, and he's just hanging out in the hallway because he probably felt cooped up, and so. And, but it wasn't a plan. I just I would never have the heart to do that. But he was great. And then the last part of this is like finally get the line and I call back. And then it's like uh, somebody else answers. I'm like, oh, geez. Because every time I called him back, Paul would answer. And then I go back and the guy is go, I go, hi, it's Paul McCurry. I'm ready to do the interview with Paul. And he goes, okay, he's in the bathroom. Hold on. So now I'm picturing Paul McCartney dropping a deuce. That's all I can picture. It must be the, must be the most brilliant deuce, genius deuce right, ever. Yeah. Um, and then he got on the phone and he did it. And we That's just great. talked about like music what it was like early in the days of the Beatles. I didn't yeah, want to talk it was a, about it was a cool interview it was you know like, I didn't want to do like no, oh Yoko did you really hate her like that no no it was about like you know how you dealt with the the popularity yeah. and how it changed how you you wrote music I had and, Bill Wyman on from the Stones yeah. and I said how would you guys work he goes generally what would happen is Keith would have come up with a riff and he'd come in just a riff and then we'd start and then we'd build on the riff and then at some point Mick We'll start to kind of just utter sounds that feel like the right rhythms for words. Like he'll, and he'll do that for like a day, and then he'll go off and start to write lyrics. And he talked about the building process, and I'm just like, I get goosebumps hearing that stuff because I don't know how these people hear all right. those sounds and, and they, put it and together. It's like they make magic. I'm just yeah. putting like nouns and pronouns together and barely even able to finish a sentence. Right. <laughs> right. So um, he couldn't have been. You know, the bigger they are, the nicer they are. Couldn't have been nicer. McCartney could awesome. nice. Yeah, it was really great. Well, the, the podcast is just called the Paul McCurio Paul McCurio Show. Show. Yeah, we right. we workshopped that title for six months, I know, and that's you, what we came a up lot with. Of focus <laughs> groups <laughs> yeah, on that a, one. But ten thousand yeah. dollars on a marketing agency. Uh, yeah, the Paul McCurio Show. It's on iTunes. It's on all the Google Play. All that, and it, there's some for everybody. Just straight up long form. You know, I had uh, um, you know uh, lots of cool people. Neil deGrasse Tyson's on. He's great, and um, and uh, I've had the. Uh, a host of the MythBusters; those guys are really yeah, cool. Those guys so are awesome. yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff, and then you, comics too. You know, and so we, we only got a couple minutes left, but uh, that is so opposite to your off-Broadway show because yeah. you're, you're talking to just normal. In that, you're talking yeah. to normal everyday people. It's called permission to speak. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and you do this during your stand-up too, right? You yeah, it was actually born out of my stand-up. Like I I. I and I like to talk to the audience, and I always have, but it's not to do what I call crowd work, like for the sake of like. Sometimes people are like, oh, you have a hoodie sweatshirt, and then he'll riff on your sweatshirt, but then he happens to have a joke about a hoodie sweatshirt. Like, right. they use it as some artifice to get into a bit. I don't. I just want to have real conversations, and it was frankly born out of being on the road, and I'm alone all day in my hotel room, and these are the first people I could talk <laughs> to. like, I'm so lonely. Yeah, exactly. I mean, please, I'm out of drugs. Can you please be my drug right now? And then it started to become more and more where you people tell these stories, and um, and if you... No, if they know that you're not going to compromise them and be, make fun of them, they'll give you everything because people want to tell their story. And so the theme of the permission to speak is if we talk, we connect. And if we connect, maybe things aren't as divisive. It's not a political show, but right. I think then you start to see that we have more in common than we think. Right. And you hear other people's stories. And then the stories are like quick story. 
I said to a woman, I, all I say to this woman is, what is your name? She goes, Nydia. I go, Lydia? She goes, no, Nydia. I go, that's a unique name. How'd you get that name? She goes, well, my father named me after his lover. I'm like, all right, you were born out of wedlock. No big deal. That happens. She goes, oh, no, no, no. He was married to my mother, got her pregnant with me, was having an affair, named, named me after, her. Oh, a, not even her kid. Named her after the woman she <laughs> oh was having God. an affair with. Oh, my Look God. Look at your eyes. That's everybody in the studio. Did that. Everybody <laughs> oh in the God, audience did that. Are you kidding me? It, it's just... It's a I'm, good move, though. So if you say the wrong name, then, oh, I meant the daughter. The yeah, kid. exactly. exactly. <laughs> Another guy, 22-year-old guy. He's gay. And I'm fascinated by gay people because they have to keep a secret for a long time yeah. and what that's like. And I'm and I, and I if I have a question, I like I ask it because I assume 90% of the people, I'm normal, I'm the average guy, they're going to have it. So I said, when did you come out of the closet? He goes, I was 19. I go, how was it? He goes, oh, it was rough, rough telling my parents. I go, oh, they didn't understand. He goes, no, actually, um, I said, I'm gay. And my father said, funny you should mention that. I'm gay too. And I'm a cross-dresser. Oh, my God. And I'm thinking, who tops their kid in that I moment? I know, right? It's not about you, man. It's about your kid. Like, let the kid have the moment. It's 19. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. What are you like? Gay? You don't know gay. <laughs> When I was your age, I walked 12 miles in the snow to meet Bette Midler. That's gay. <laughs> like, and you hear these stories and like, and I've been a writer. You could sit in a room and try to write these things and you'd be like, no one would believe that. No one. I, I, can I tell you one more? Oh, yeah. One more. We can, yeah, okay. one more. This guy gets on say total like New Yorker. It's going to be like a guy from Boston too. Like a lot of attitude. Middle-aged guy. He's got arms folded, kind of bobbing around. He goes, I got a story for you. I got a story for you. I go, yeah. He goes, what? Yeah, my wife is having an affair with a clergyman in Liechtenstein. And it sounded like he was doing, like, a guy walks into a bar It sounds joke. like a joke. And yeah. I said, look, the only rule I have in the show is don't try to be funny. The funny will find itself. He goes, no, I'm not kidding you. She's sleeping with this fat septic tank of a clergyman in Liechtenstein. <laughs> the, the, woman, the wife's mother died. She lived in Liechtenstein. They went for the funeral. The wife stayed back. They live in Brooklyn, the guy and the woman. Stayed back to finish the affairs of the state. Struck up an affair with the clergyman and started banging the clergyman and is leaving this guy for the clergyman. He goes, and here's the thing. The guy was this fat septic tank of a pig. Well, guess what? My wife likes to go hiking. So to get in good with her, he went hiking. So now he's in good shape and he looks great. So he's taking my wife and because of me, he's hot. And he, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, oh my God. I talked to him for 40 minutes. <laughs> 40, because they're still living together as... Semi divorce, almost uh, right. Still shaking your head, like right. So we got into like, well, what's going on? And he goes, "No, I can let go." I go, "I don't think you can let go." It was so. <laughs> yeah, sounds like a sitcom. Right. Yeah, right. Well, well, exactly, right. And if I told you that, and so like, it's, you'd be like, "Ah, no, no one's going to believe that. No one's going to be like." So it's been really, really great. And um, you know, we've had transgender person on talking about what that's like, and that's good because it takes the boogeyman out of that. Like you know, for some people, people think transgender like, oh, they're creepy, and they all they do is upset. Like, it's like, no, they're just people trying to find themselves, you know? Right. And so, so it's been really cool, and I'll be doing that this weekend. I'm going to be at the Left Boston. I'll be talking to people and, you know, just kind of getting into it with them and then see wherever it goes. I don't like to have a plan, and then I just do some material here and there about my pathetic life. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul Mercurio, thank you very much hey, for coming in, thanks man. for having me, man. It's, it's been a lot awesome. of fun. Thank and you. Uh, and uh, good luck. Laugh Boston tonight. Laugh Boston tomorrow. Yeah, two, sh two oh, shows tomorrow. Two shows tomorrow, um, 7.30 and 9.45, and a 7.30 show tonight, Friday. Okay, yeah. can they still go to laughboston.com, get mm -hmm. tickets? Yeah. All right, awesome. Paul yeah. Mercurio. Hey.
Thanks, and, man. Um, and good job wearing the New England Patriots shirt. <laughs> hey, That's how huge. you don't get stabbed in New England. Yeah, no. Right? <laughs> I'm huge. You know where you get stabbed? You get in arguments in, in New York, because I live in New York, and I wear my Red Sox stuff especially. Oh, my God. And you almost get in fist fights. Oh. Yeah. Well, you're going to have to come back at some point so we can vent on Kyrie Irving. Yeah, and we, I got I got to— both hate Kyrie Yeah, Irving. and I got to tell you how my son tried to, <laughs> tried to jump ship. I hate—I— I, by the way, you're not getting what I'm getting. I live in New York. He's playing for I know. He's I'm going to get to watch that place <laughs> oh, yeah. implode, and like I'll be standing up. <laughs> you just got a guy who needs to have a meds, buddy. Good oh, job. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, Paul, thank you very much. Thank Paul you. Mercurio, Laugh Boston, tonight, two shows tomorrow night. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.